Very thankful for <clears throat> our musicians who, who lead us so faithfully. Yeah, the picture I have is of the Lord enthroned in glory and the majesty and the ancient of days pulling up his throne just a little bit closer to us. Acknowledging that these are people who worship me. They know me. They love me. It says in the word of God, if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So um, here we are in the presence of God at the foot of his throne, lifting up our voices and praising him and worshiping him and acknowledging that he is the Lord of glory and the God of the ages and that his word is food to us and it nurtures us and it teaches us the right ways of God. And so our Father, as we um, gather around the foot of your throne, bowed before you, acknowledging you as the great God of the universe, our Savior God, the Lord Jesus Christ who's, who loved us and died for us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This Lord, Savior and Lord, we acknowledge this morning. We ask, Father, that we, we ask only that you would be glorified and honored and praised. And we ask, Lord, that you would recognize our neediest state and how much we need you. And that, Father, you would pour your grace upon us this morning. That the glory of the Lord might be revealed in us. As we, um, as we give ourselves all over again to you. As we trust you, learn to trust you, Lord, I pray. Infuse us with faith. Faith to believe, faith to obey. Faith to trust. So, Father, I pray that you would bless your word to our hearts. I pray for any distraction that might cause us to lose concentration on the message that the Spirit of God has for us would be dispelled and dispersed and moved away from us. That we might commune very, very connectedly to our Savior today, I pray. Help me to deliver your truth. And just your truth, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Here's the problem. Too many of us have been hurt. Uh, we've been abused, perhaps, by people. We have had um, losses in our lives that were devastating. Maybe we've lost loved ones, maybe lost a child. Um, we've been mistreated by someone in authority. We felt like God has let us down sometime. And instead of turning to the living God and, and experiencing his liberty, his freedom, his, 
his liberating power to make us more than conquerors in Christ, we have built structures around our lives. We've built barriers and obstacles that insulate us from people and from God. We've become rebellious or prideful or greedy or unforgiving. And we used all of these kinds of structures to insulate us from our pain instead of turning over to the living God. And we live lives dominated by defeat instead of the victory that Christ wants us to have in him. For seven years, Israel was dominated by the power of Midian. It says in the text in Judges chapter 6, and verse 2. And it says that rather than rely on the Lord to liberate them from the power of that dominating defeat, they lived every day with defeat, harassed. Their fruit was, uh, was stolen from them. Their lives were miserable. And rather than turn to God, it says they ran into caves and hid in caves. They built false securities around themselves and insulated themselves from really the only solution to their pain and their suffering and their hurt and their defeat. And it saddens me to, to recognize that so many of God's people who have been rescued from sin and, and, uh, and forgiven are not living a victorious Christian life. So would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Judges chapter 6? I want to um, take you on a journey through two chapters. I want to catch up. Pastor Nick took us through some of 6. I want to just uh, give a review of that so that we get a context for today because it all fits together. The big reason that sin and defeat dominates us is we grant power to things that oppress us through our unbelief. And um, Israel was choosing evil. As we, if we read through the text, we'll realize that they were sinning and they were, they were worshiping idols. They were, they were choosing evil because they believed it was of greater daily value than belief in God's ways. That's the only explanation for that. And, and, and the only explanation in our lives why we would choose sin or idols over God. Particularly when we have such great needs. Particularly when I think of them dominated every day of their lives, plundered and harassed by the power of Midian. And here they are relying on sin and idols and caves Securities that they had built by their physical, uh, uh, physical securities that they were relying on. Because for, from their perspective, they must have believed that all of those things were of greater da daily value to them than believing in God's ways. And I, I think that there's an epidemic of that within Christianity, within the evangelical church. 
I have said to you that I really believe that this series is an important watershed time for uh, Calvary Baptist Church, and I, I fully believe that. I continue to believe that. I pray that way because I believe that, that we are onto something from God's Word that is crucial for us advancing in ways that we could never have imagined. It's a watershed in the sense that if we will no longer believe that our sin and our idols are of greater daily value than God's ways, God will do amazing things. God will accomplish through our lives, through this ministry, significantly amazing things. And we will determine, it's a watershed time in our lives when we finally determine that we no longer want to accommodate sin and idols in our lives because they're making us miserable, defeated, unfulfilled, and unhappy. If you really want to stop living a defeated life, there are a couple of things that need to happen that I notice in this text. And the first is this, and I find this in verse 13. You must stop doubting the power of God. Do you see what Gideon says here? Uh, but sir, the Lord comes to him and he says, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about uh, when they said, um, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? And, but now the Lord has abandoned us and, and uh, put us into the hands of Midian. We, we get this uh, crazy idea that we can serve our sin and our idols and have God too. And so when uh, we are sinning and when we are practicing idolatry, uh, we can get the uh, wrong impression that God has become powerless. And we start to think, well, where's God? God's not showing up. God's not in my life. I don't sense God. He hasn't done anything for me lately. I've, I haven't seen any of the miraculous, wonderful, amazing things that God has done historically from the Bible or even what I've heard from some people in their lives. I haven't heard, heard things in the mission field. I, I haven't seen any of this in my life. Israel had this ridiculous notion that they could have sin and idols and the power of God too. It doesn't work that way. And so instead of turning to God, they started to doubt the power of God. It's a vicious circle. It gets worse and worse. If we really want to see this thing turn around in our lives and no longer live a daily defeated life... We not only have to stop doubting the power of God, but we have to stop compensating for our sinful faithlessness. This cave dwelling, mountain clefts and strongholds that they were in, um, is, is an accommodation to their sinful lives and, their, and their, the fact that they were trying to prop up their insecurities with man-made or physical securities. They decided to live with their sinful props and compensate for their fears with manufactured securities called caves and clefts of mountains. Surrendered to their fate. Decided to uh, adapt to a life with sin and idols. We might as well just get used to living with it in our lives and, and make some sort of artificial securities in our lives to try and prop us up and make us feel secure. And so it is with us. Rather than face on, uh, facing our sin and facing the, the things that we have used in place of God, we decide that we will, we will build some sort of superstructure around our lives to, to protect us or to take care of us. And, and so we continue to be rebellious and 
continue to be angry and continue to be unforgiving. So no one can touch me. No one can get near me. I I start to protect myself. And, And we become virtually unusable to God. Here is Israel under the dominant power of Midian. God will free you from the dominance of daily defeat if you finally cry out to the Lord. In verse 7, it says, When the Israelites cried to the Lord, he sent them a prophet. This was God's work. Listen, when you finally come to the place where you have, have become so frustrated with the defeat in your life and living the same way over and over again, living with an unforgiving heart, living with a rebellious heart, living with a prideful heart, living for a, a, a bitter heart, living with a greedy heart. You finally say, Lord, I can't live like this anymore. I, uh, something has to change and we fall down on our knees and we call out to God and say, God, be merciful to me, please. I recognize that it's, this is just misery. It's when they finally came to the place where they called out to God. He longs for you to call out to him. He wants to, be, he wants to answer your prayer. He wants to be merciful to you. He wants to come to you. But nothing is going to happen until you urgently and desperately call out to him until you reach that point. The sadness is here, he he responds to them and says, I brought you out of captivity. I already brought you out of the power and clutches of Egypt. They they had already experienced the, the salvation work of God. He had brought them out of Egypt and now... Instead of going on to victory, instead of, instead of being God's victorious people, they had now allowed themselves to come under the power of Midian by their compromise to sin and to idols. This is the picture of the Christian life, possi- possibly, unless you embrace what God has for you. It's possible to be liberated from the slave market of, of sinfulness and be rescued from captivity to the darkness of of Satan, be brought into salvation, and then not go on with God because you are dominated by sin and idols. And the power of Midian now has you captive. This was the case with them. But they finally called out to the Lord. The Lord wants to be gracious. The Lord longs to rescue you from this. But you'll notice what God requires. Not only that you cry out to him, but you'll notice in verse 25 through 32 that he's going to require you to break down idols, to break with your past commitment to other gods. God says to Gideon, um, I want you to build an altar uh, and call it the Lord is peace. And, and I, I want you to tear down the, the bales and the Asherah poles and, and build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. And so Gideon goes forward and does that and he demolishes all of these idols that they've been relying on, that they, they had fiercely actually guarded. Look at verse 30. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down Asherah pole beside it. Listen, they were quite content to be under the power and dominance of Midian ultimately. Rather than... Give up their idols and their sin. Regularly, we fiercely defend the way we're behaving rather than 
mercy, rather than fall on our face and rely on the gracious mercy of God, we, we, we hold to our prideful way of life, our unforgiving heart, our bitter spirit, all of these attitudes, rather than humble ourselves before Almighty God and say, these things are wrong, these things are dominating my life, and I want to have what it is, I want to know what it is to have the victory of God in my life. Rather than thank Gideon for showing them the way out of this mess, they wanted to kill him. Make no mistake about it. Crying out to God will fall on deaf ears if you insist on accommodating your idols. If you insist upon keeping these things around, these other dependencies, what you've been relying on that is contrary to God's word, God will not listen to you. Lordship comes before liberation. Jesus must be Savior and Lord. And whatever is displacing God must be replaced before whatever is defeating you can be gone. And so they actually change Gideon's name. Notice here in verse 32, they now call Gideon Jerob Baal. He's the breaker of Baal. That's his new name. They look at him and they say, he's the breaker of Baal. That's a, good, that's a good name to have. That's a good name to have, really. To be the breaker of idols? Let's say change your name. He's the breaker of idols. That's a good name. I like to have that name. Pastor the breaker of idols. Serving the Lord requires breaking from embracing the way of the world, the way the world determines values, so that you will change and start relating your life to the ways of the scriptures. The world stays bitter. The world stays unforgiving. The world is greedy. The, the world compensates with anger, with malice, with all of those ways of, of protecting their insecurities. Because that's all they have. And God invites us to live differently, to, to love our neighbor, to, to forgive those who've hurt you, to, to be generous in all ways. The, these are the liberating principles of the scriptures. This is the invitation for us. But after disassembling some idols, <clears throat> there's a critical issue that must take place in our lives, and this will, this will take the, the lion's share of what I want to share with you this morning. Because that was all kind of review from what Nick had really taken us, Pastor Nick had really taken us. So after disassembling the idols, here's the key reality that we're going to deal with this morning. You have to learn not to require physical assurance of success before you will obey God. Each of us have to learn fundamentally what it is to live by faith. In order to please God. And this is Gideon's Achilles heel, really. We pick it up in verse 33. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon then said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, let that, let that sort of rest in your mind for a few moments, because the next thing he does doesn't make any sense. Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. Wait a minute, you already said that God had promised. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. The problem with Israel, they had been relying on physical things for so long that they had no concept of trusting in God's word. And, and Gideon is the example, the leader example of this huge problem. Gideon is a man of great potential. We'll, we'll give him that. And, and perhaps of great natural abilities. Although we don't know a lot about him, but... One thing we do know about him is that he significantly was lacking in faith. He excludes God most of the time from his life. And there are plenty of examples here, but let me just give you a couple as we wade our way into the next um, event in his life. Gideon struggled to trust God's word. It's really bizarre that he would say, if you will save Israel by my hand as you promised... But before we, we leap all over Gideon, quite honestly, that's fundamentally the way most of us live. God has given us all his precious promises in the scriptures. If you will do this, you will get this. If you will live this way, this is what will happen. And we regularly say, well, we know what God has promised, but we're not buying it. We're not buying it. We don't believe that he will deliver on his promise. We would rather trust physical things than the, um, than the almighty word of God. Now, Gideon struggled to trust God's word, and we regularly do this. We select words that accommodate our own preferences. We replace the word of God with immediate benefit of idols, and this is precisely what they were doing. We also find out, though, in verse 34, but wait a second, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. So something's not making sense. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon Gideon, but now um, he, he's going to the Lord and he's not trusting in his word. What's going on here? Well, I know this is an Old Testament story, and therefore the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament saint is significantly different from the ministry of the Spirit here, but not entirely different. We know that the uh, Holy Spirit didn't indwell the Old Testament saint, but came upon for various responsibilities. The power of God came upon Old Testament uh, believers for various responsibilities. Uh, so it was really uh, the uh, empowerment of a gift. When we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit of God and he gives us gifts. No different. 
It is possible to be gifted, but not to be faith-filled. This is the problem with Gideon. He received the gift of God's power, but he didn't, because of his unbelieving heart, he was not filled with the Spirit in the way that we can be filled with the Spirit. Now, he couldn't in the Old Testament, but he, he was not a faith-filled man. And it is possible for us to have the gifts of the Spirit, but not be filled with the Spirit, and therefore not be faith-filled. That's why the Scriptures tell us, be filled with the Spirit. And so we have this man of fear, not of faith. Gideon's fear of failure absolutely paralyzed him. He's actually treating God like a psychic friend. If you will have this fleece dry, then I'll believe in you. If you have this fleece wet, then I'll believe in you. Now, I sadly have encountered lots of Christians who think this is God's word to us on how to determine the will of God. I hope to dispel that from you as a methodology. This is not the way we determine the will of God. When God had already told Gideon what his will was. Gideon, I want you to go and lead a battle against Midian. And I'm going to be with you. And you're going to defeat them as if they're one man. And Gideon got the message. He heard the word of God. But he didn't believe the word of God. And so this action on his part was a faithless act that God graciously accommodated so that Gideon, in his weakness, would keep moving forward to accomplish God's work. But we don't want to be people who are filled with fear, fleecing God. Gideon wanted to manipulate life and God and produce his own securities. That's the way he worked. That's the way he functioned. That's the way most of us function. We would rather be in control of life, and we will go to great extremes to gather around ourselves our own made securities and hope that we can rest in those. And the folly of that is unbelievable. So let's look at this journey that now God is going to take um, Jerubal in, or Gideon, early in the morning, verse chapter 7. Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. And it means actually in English um, the spring of trembling. You may have that notation in your Bibles, the spring of trembling. Now when I'm going and when I'm being asked to go to battle... I am hoping that God won't have me at the spring of trembling. That's not where I want to go. I want to go to the spring of victory. I want to go to the spring of power. I don't want to be at the spring of trembling. Anybody with me there? But God takes him to the spring of trembling because that's where he should be. That's where he needed to be. That's illustrative of how his heart really was. But listen, if we call on the Lord, he wants to end our long night of defeat. And I hope, I hope you want to embrace that, but some things have to change in your life. And the first is this, we have to get rid of our default securities. We have to get rid of those things we are using to prop up our insecurities as a, rather than God. And to show us our folly, 
Uh, he will, God will turn insecurities of our own making into greater vulnerabilities. Look what's happening in the text here. The Lord says to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. Wait a second, God, I could never have too many men. If you read in chapter 8, you will find out that the, uh, the battle force of Midian was 135,000 soldiers. And if you do the math right on this text in a few moments, you're going to find out that Gideon had 32,000 soldiers. Now, I don't know how your math is, but 32,000 against 135,000 is a mismatch. And God says to Gideon, you got too many. Pardon? I got too many. Yeah, you got too many for me to deliver. That's the key word. For me to deliver Midian into your hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people anyone who trembles with fear at the spring of tremble may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. He will remove from your life the irreparably fearful, the things that are causing you to be afraid. Fear is a deadly, contagious virus that must be isolated. It's worse than Ebola in the Christian life. At least Ebola only kills you and sends you to heaven. Fear causes you to stop listening to God. It's a worse virus, this fear. And, and uh, you'll notice here that, that um, Israel has been living their lives uh, secure in their own physical strengths. And God removes that, is starting to remove that from Gideon's life. Uh, the listings of things that make us feel insecure are many. But we need to give our heads a shake and think about security for a few moments. What in your life physically really helps you to be secure? I, I mean, is your car a place of security? You go buy yourself an armored Hummer and I'm telling you, you're still not going to be secure. When a comet drops on the car. Is your house a security? Is this building a security? Man, we had a pastor's meeting this past week and we didn't know that people were working on the roof. And uh, all of a sudden, my office started to shake. And all of us were looking at each other like, it's the big one. Like, you know, we, like the building's coming down. And uh, we didn't know that Arnold was up on the roof putting some waterproofing up there. That man walks like an elephant when he's on top of a roof. And, and so, is this building our security? I, I mean, we live in anthills. That, that can be crushed in an instant. And so God starts to strip away this army. And then, so he says, okay, so um, 22,000, anybody who's really afraid can leave. And so 22,000 of the 32,000 get up and leave. I don't think he was thinking that was going to happen. We're down to 10,000 now. Now the odds are 1 to 13 and a half. These odds are going in a bad direction. And then, so God says, well then, um, and then all of a sudden there's this bizarre event where there's the lappers and the liquors. You know the story there where they, there's some guys who, they drink and they get down in the water and they're just licking it like a dog and there's other guys who sort of stay on their knees or whatever and they lap it. 
And, um, and, and uh, Gideon's standing there watching the lappers and the liquors, and uh, God's saying to him, um, yeah, your, your, your force is too big here. And uh, so Gideon sees uh, like about 9,700. Pastor Dwayne and I were talking about this through the week, trying to figure this out. And uh, I think Dwayne's on to something here. Um, but, you know, when you read different commentaries on this, they're saying, well, here's what happened. Uh, 9,700 of these guys got down and they licked the pond and, and uh, these are not good soldiers because they're not really paying any attention. But the 300 who stayed kind of vigilant and all of that, uh, these are the crack troops that God gave them. Crack troops. God was trying to continue to take away any physical securities that Gideon had. Pastor Dwayne and I talked and we, we figured like the crowd mentality was to get down and lick. And there's 300 bizarros who lap. And, and Gideon's thinking, man, I'm hoping God's given me the 9,700 because that's, that's normal. But these fruitcakes who are, who are lapping, I, I, don't, I don't want these people. And, and so God says, I, I, I'm going to give you 300 crazy men to go into battle with. How, how's that for odds? Now you know what the odds are? One to 450. It's just going from bad to worse if if you are have layers in your life of physical securities that are preventing you from being fully victorious in Jesus Christ God will systematically peel away those physical securities one by one until you get to the place where you are definitely no longer a match for what God has for you. And so you get to this place where God has now whittled it down. And there comes a point in our lives where God is testing us and allowing us to, to view our own lives to see how far are we going to go by faith before we actually bail on God. I mean, how far? You know, each of us has to come to a place in our lives where we actually really are in a position where we have to trust God and we discover that he is trustworthy. I, I wonder sometimes, as, as I observe the masses of Christianity and all the comforts we have and all the securities we have and everything that we have, I sometimes wonder if believers have ever had to rely on God. I wonder sometimes if the reason that believers embrace sinfulness and idolatry is because they've never had that moment in their life where they really came to trust God, where they really believed he can be trusted. I mean, have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where you really found out that God could be trusted? That's crucial. That's critical for our faith, our faith journey to continue on. Or have you lived your life with all kinds of physical securities in such a way that you live day by day without even needing God? Many of our churches, our North American churches, our church here, sometimes you wonder, do we actually really need God to pull this off? 
And God, when he's taking a group of people into a victory battle, will systematically relieve us of all of our physical securities so that we will learn to trust in him alone. He doesn't want us to boast in the victory and he doesn't want us to rely on ourselves. He wants us to give glory to God. And, uh, but, you know, at this moment, he still has a, a weak faith specimen in Gideon. And so he says to him, in verse 9, during that night, the Lord says to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm, a, I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. This is the gracious work of God in our lives. But keep in mind, God is on a project here. We are God's projects. He loves us. And he could tell, he knew that, that Gideon uh, was, was afraid. And the kindness, the pastoral care of our God says to Gideon, Gideon, I'm going to give you an assignment. I'm going to give you my word. And it was an important test. If Gideon obeyed the word of God and went and listened, he would be encouraged. A critical moment for all of us. Are you afraid? God says, listen, I want you to listen to my word. My word will comfort your heart and encourage you. And if you say, yeah, I'm afraid, but I'm not going to listen to God's word, then you're going to remain in your fear. So this is another faith moment. To redirect our faltering faith and our weakness, the Lord will lovingly assure us of his dominant power because God is in charge of those you fear. And so he goes down and he listens. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. The camels could no more be counted than the sand in the sea, seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said, of saying, he was saying, a, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such a force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. Woohoo! That's the moment we wanted to get to. But it took a long time to get there. Now look at, don't miss this. God is in charge of those you fear. If you're afraid, go and hear how afraid I am causing them to be, he says. Now here's the important thing. God told him to listen. He didn't tell him to go and look. And that's critical. Because if Gideon had of all, if all Gideon had done is looked he would have noticed that the Midianite army was as expansive as locusts and their camels were innumerable. We are called as God's people to live by faith in God, not by sight. And it was crucial. The word was specific, go and listen. And so he does what God says, and God amazingly and marvelously, and just coincidentally, 
leads him to the right conversation. And in that conversation, there's this dream of a little piece of bread rolling down and demolishing a tent. And it was a barley loaf of bread, which, by the way, is not like the big loaf of bread I talked about last Sunday, but it's a little... Barley was the, um, of the grains, it was the grain for the poor people. Tim Keller brings this out very nicely. It was a grain of the poor people. And so this picture is this, this least of all barley grain, of, uh, grain loaf rolls down and demolishes the tent. And the pagan Midianite is saying, surely God is with Israel and going to defeat us. And the only sad part about this is it wasn't until a pagan relayed the grandeur of God that Gideon finally got it into his head. Hey, God can save us. And so he does. We find out that uh, the Lord will grant grace of resourceful stewardship to those who have learned a little as a lot in the hands of Almighty God. God's battle plan was through Gideon's acceptance of his limits in order for the real power of God to be revealed. It was the strangest battle plan ever. Just take some lanterns of fire, take a trumpet. And and Pastor Steve, I'm not sure how the musician leader would feel about this, but... I assume that they smashed the lamps with the trumpets because that's what they had. It's kind of a strange way to treat an instrument. But. And here it was, shift change for the guards. You've got 135,000, a massive troop, and one-third of them are changing guard, and, and uh, one-third of them are asleep, and one-third of them are drowsy because they're being wake, awakened to go on guard duty. And, and just then, Gideon smashes the blows the trumpet, smashes, there's this blinding light, and, and uh, the groggy guys are waking up, and all they can see is soldiers who are changing now shifts, but they think it's that, that now there's this big force in them, and they destroy each other, and the battle's won. It's like, wow, why didn't I just trust in God my whole life? God doesn't need strong God needs obedient. He uses the weak, limited, who trust in him. The enemy, by the way, doesn't fear you, but the enemy fears God. So if you think your strength and your securities can go up against the enemy, you are sadly mistaken. You are significantly mistaken. You are dangerously mistaken. But the enemy absolutely shakes and quivers at God. So what is your action plan, your way out of defeat? Can I recommend to you that you need to get rid of the props and the idols that you've attached to your life, that you try to muscle your way out of defeat because it's not working. It will never work. You will constantly take the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups, the pain, the, the frustrations, the devastation, and you will continue to build around it structures of your own making, and they will never, ever lead you to victory. It's only as you absolutely pay attention to God's word and release God's power by your obedience to God's word that you experience victory. Helpless is never hopeless when you finally learn to trust in God for your security and strength. So have you relying more on what you have and can see rather than on whom you have and what he says. 
Our Father, I, I pray this morning as we have encountered again a story that's familiar to most of us, I pray, Lord, that we will not miss the message to our own lives. I pray that this will be a mirror experience. Lord, we are living in caves and clefts and daily defeat, being dominated by our hurts, by our anger, by our past poverty, by the abuse of an authority figure, by whatever, and we are, we are angry, bitter, unforgiving people, greedy, prideful, and we, we've come to the place where we don't think you're powerful anymore. Oh, God, would you please peel all of those security layers away and lay us bare before you that we might know that you alone are our victory. You alone bring us victory. I pray this in Christ's name, strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's ponder that thought in prayer for a few moments and um, close our eyes. And uh, How much does God love you? He loves you so much. He wants you out of your cave, out of that cleft, out of that artificial security place that you run to. Rather than forgiving that brother or sister, as you know you should, you run into your cave. And you've made it impossible for anyone to get there. When you're called upon to be generous, you run into cave of your bank account and insulate yourself there because you have trusted in that your whole life. When someone um, seeks to bring understanding and correction to your life through the word of God, because you're rebellious, you run into that cave of rebellion and stay there and build a fortress rather than listen to God's word. And we could go on and on with application. You, you know, right now, the spirit of God is possibly convicting you of a cave that you're in. It's preventing you from full victory, being more than a conqueror in Christ. You have this position granted to you, but you are not practicing it. So would you cry out to the Lord enough already and let him minister to you? Let him show you that the artificial security, the, the structures you have built are not your strength, they're not your provision. They're not your protection. They're not your rescue. They're not your deliverer. They're your prison. Oh, God, liberate us to enjoy the fullness of victory in Jesus. Knowing what it is for you to be our provision, you to be our protection, you to be our rescuer, you to be our deliverer, you to set us free. You've set us free from Egypt, not so we would now become oppressed by Midian, but to go on fully to freedom. Oh, God, I pray. I pray for us. 
I pray that we will experience this kind of liberation to victory, oh God. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.